All right. Well, welcome again to Tuesday night here, and uh, we've been doing a short series on temptation. I'll have to use more of the board here on the top. Temptation talked about what it is, its process, okay? And then last week, you talked about a few examples of people that were tempted. And an example was, do you remember? Joseph, how he was tempted by the woman that was the wife of his employer. Okay, and what did he do with his temptation? He ran. He ran. And then, in particular, Jesus and what he did with his temptation. What did he do? He didn't give in. He quoted the Bible. Okay, and so that's something that we will run across again. We'll, we'll look at that just a little bit more um, later on tonight. But I want to get into a couple different things. Because temptation, really, when I look at it, I think that's kind of scary. Because I am not always the most careful person. And I am not always the most prepared person. And then sometimes I tell myself in my head, well, you're just going to fail again, right? You did this, and you failed once before at this, and you failed ten times or a hundred times or whatever, and now you can fail again. And though I know that Christ forgives me, and though I know and I have that feeling, um, it is something I struggle with. Go up and down and up and down. And I hate the feeling of it, and I know what it feels like, to fall, and it's not falling, it's stepping directly into sin. I'm not falling. I'm choosing. Some point in this process, I'm choosing to allow my brain to entertain it. Okay? And when I do that, my brain entertains the sin, and the sin grows, and this is what we talked about a couple weeks ago, the sin grows and basically like a seed, right? A seed grows. It matures into something bigger. If you pick up a small seed, say the seed of an apple tree, right? Everybody knows how big that is. It's much smaller than the end of my pinky. Okay, I could probably fit four or five seeds on the end of my pinky that grow an apple tree. And an apple tree once it's mature, can be quite large around and can be 30 feet high, okay? When you look at that little seed, it looks like nothing. And what do you have to do to get it to grow? Can you just... Here's the thing. What do you have to do to get it to not grow? Leave it. Are you sure? Because what if you throw it on the ground somewhere? It might. <laughs> you don't know how fertile the ground is. 
If it's soft, if it gets smashed into the ground a little bit, if it rains, if the conditions are just right, it's the very same way the potential is in every seed. And yet most seeds won't grow one. But when it does grow one, and you allow it to continue, something happens in the process, okay? You grow it, and you mature, you mature the tree or the sin. Sin brings about, what was the consequence of sin? Death. Okay? The ultimate consequence of sin is death. Now that's not just physical death, but that is separation. First thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned, what did they feel? From all indications, what did they feel? Ashamed. And how do we know that? They hid. And they covered up. They, so they were aware that they were naked all of a sudden. So they were innocent before, and then all of a sudden they gained knowledge, but it wasn't the kind of knowledge that helped them. All right? There is knowledge out there that's not helpful knowledge. All knowledge, just for the sake of knowledge, is not good. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have scientific knowledge. You should, that's not what I'm talking about at all. There are evil intents of beings out there. There are malicious beings. And malicious meaning they have no intention to help you, only to harm you. That's their intent, is to harm you. That's what malicious means. They come with malice, okay? Um... And so, that, when you allow it to, the sin to grow, and they're looking for a place where you're soft in your life. It says in the Bible that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay? But against powers and principalities. Spiritual wickedness in high places. So there is a great big... It's an army. It's a kingdom with Satan currently on top of it. He is ruling that kingdom. And that is a kingdom of subjects that are beings, that are fallen angels. Well, they want to rule as well. Right? So when they seek out power over other individuals, they come to us as humans. And how, what do they look for in us? Weakness. weakness. Yeah, they're looking for weakness. Okay? And so, that's what scares me the most about temptation. Is that they look for my Weakness. Oftentimes, our very 
the most difficult thing we do in this life, the most difficult task, is to understand our own weaknesses and look at them in an objective way. Meaning, looking at them in a way that doesn't give ourselves all the benefit of the doubt. Because that's the natural way a human works, right? We have a sinful nature and we say, well, my weakness is, we'll just say perchance, you really like vanilla ice cream, okay? For instance, okay? <laughs> Some people like it in this room, all right? Or Rocky Mountain Raspberry, all right? And that could be a weakness. Now, Satan's not going to go after you to get you to eat a bunch of Rocky Mountain Raspberry. Because he doesn't care about vanilla ice cream and Rocky Mountain Raspberry. What does he care about? He wants to exploit your weakness, right? So how could he use something as simple as that? Is there anything wrong with Rocky Mountain Raspberry? Is it sinful? Is it in the Bible? Listed anywhere? Rocky Mountain Raspberry? Thou shalt not eat it? Thou shalt not eat chocolate or vanilla? Nope. In fact, they're good things. And I'm sure we'll have ice cream of some sort in heaven. Probably better, maybe. Probably like the best you've ever eaten, okay? Comes right from a cow. Maybe the cow will give ice cream directly. Wouldn't that be cool? Okay, right. <laughs> it could be. It could be really cool. Just pull it and into the cone, man. <laughs> right. And there could be a cone tree. Pick the cone. I'm telling you. Right. I mean, you say cones don't grow on trees. They sure do, right over there. You know. So the idea is, it's not the thing very often that's bad. Most of the time, what gets us in trouble, what tempts us, is not the thing itself. It is often the dependence on it or the timing of it. Okay, those are two things, and there's other things, but one thing is dependence, and one thing is timing. So, I get my Rocky Mountain Raspberry comb, and I get it because I am happy. And I'm out with a bunch of friends because COVID's all gone. And we're all going to eat Rocky Mountain Raspberry ice cream. Yay! Right? And they open up the ice cream parlors in the middle of January just to have it, just because they could. Right? Nothing wrong with that. But if I learn in my mind, or if I have a void in my mind, something. Maybe I have loneliness. Okay? Maybe loneliness is something I really struggle with. Is loneliness a sin? No. You feel it. Okay? Loneliness is not a sin. It's not something you want to live in all the time, loneliness, but it's certainly there are some things you can learn out of it. When does loneliness and Rocky Mountain Raspberry Ice Cream get you in trouble? It's very subtle. 
you're starting down the right track. Because you're lonely. You eat it because you're lonely. Why do you eat it because you're lonely? Because will it make you... Will it make you not lonely? I mean, it's your friend, right? Rocky Mountain Raspberry. You love it. You perk up because you're looking for something that people that people have called self-medication, right? It is often what we use, and there's many things that people use to self-medicate. What does it do for me, that Rocky Mountain Raspberry ice cream? takes my mind off my loneliness for a time. <laughs> Over time. Takes a lot of it to get you there, right? Okay? But it gets my mind off. And honestly, yes. Okay. Gluttony is a sin. And some people are just outright, they just want to eat, 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 eat. But that is not often the main reason why people eat. People eat. Because they're bored, because they're lonely, because they're tired, because they're angry, okay? There are things that cause us to do it. Most people eat because of emotions, right? You could say, well, I don't eat because of emotions. That's fantastic. What do you do because of emotions? Because usually there's something out there that gets you. When you feel lonely, when you feel like nobody cares, how do you fill the void? Well, here's how you're supposed to fill the void. You're supposed to go to God and have a, a tight, close relationship with God. Most, many, most Christians struggle with that. And even if they know what they're supposed to do, it is hard to have a complete dependence on God. Especially when he doesn't take away the loneliness. Oftentimes what happens is you say, God, I feel lonely. And God says, lean on me. Don't allow the loneliness to drive you. Allow my, my presence to give you comfort. And he may not take away the situation. Because he wants your dependence to be on him. You want that dependence to be on God, not on something else. So God, lots of us have little twisted things in us, okay? We learn things from our parents, bad habits. We have plenty of bad habits all on our own. And we can make them worse and worse and worse, right? We can take our parents' bad habits and add to them. It's great. It's called the human condition, right? So what we often learn is how do our parents medicate? Or how do our friends medicate? Or how does... And if we watch our parents go to the Word of God and go to their knees every single time they struggle, then you probably learn a great dependence on God. 
But that's not happening in many, many, many families. And that doesn't happen until you have really mature Christians. So what do most of us grow up with? Well, some sort of halfway, you know, maybe, maybe mom eats and dad struggles with drinking. Because there's another way to medicate, right? What's that? I said it's another way to get your mind off things. Absolutely. Okay? That's, most of the time, it is not that people want to, hey, I want to become a drunk in my life. Nobody aspires to do that. Right? Nobody aspires, you know what? I'm going to become a drug addict when I grow up. That is not <laughs> That's not his goal, okay? But what often happens is, is they get to a spot where they have a weakness, a sadness, a sorrow, something missing, something really tough that happens in their life. It may not be, it may not be anything they did. It might just be that their a parent dies or something. They have a tragic loss in their family. And something difficult happens. And then the opportunity goes in and there's a little small chink in the armor. And you say, well, I feel pretty lonely. Or I feel just left out. Or I don't even know what's wrong. But I'm not right in my heart. And oftentimes, the more of the frenzy that can be made with that, the more confusion that can be put in there, the more chance that you're going to find something easy to get dependence on. Okay? You're going to find something. It'll come to you. You don't have to work very hard at it. Opportunities are all over the place. You know, how many of you ever heard of drugs in your school? Yeah. Okay. They're there. If you wanted them, do you think you could get them? Probably. Pretty easy. Okay. And they're available. Drinking. That was a huge thing when I was in school. Lots of friends that did it. Lots of friends that went out. And I remember I had a, a two friends that told me how they went out and drank a 28-ounce crazy horse, okay, um, which is a hard liquor. And, and they were so sick, but they did it again in another two months. Covering for something, okay, trying to... Self-medicate. Because isn't it so fun to go and get drunk? No, it's not fun to do that. But people do it in society all the time. They do. Oftentimes. It gets used as a medication. Is there, is there anything about you shouldn't drink in the Bible? Do you know that? When do you get to be, when is it a sin? Where does it say, don't do this? Don't be drunk. Okay? But 
the much more subtle thing, and the, the, the standard Christian is, well, I'm not drunk, I'm fine. Why do you drink? That's the question. Why are you covering up something painful? Are you using it as something for dependence? Okay? And it doesn't have to just be alcohol and drugs and anything else. Alright? Going to do things online. There's a dependence. You pull out, I can't pull out my phone, because there it is being recorded, right? You pull out your phone because it's a habit. You create a habit. 100 times, 200 times a day, 300 times a day if you have it, right? You pull it out, you pull it out, you pull it out, and you check it, check it, check it, check it, check it. Because you're going to die if you don't know what's on there. You'll be dead by the end of the day. If you don't check it 200 times, you'll be dead. That's not true. Okay. Just <laughs> I, what I'm saying to you is anything. I'm not saying phones are bad. I'm just saying anything can become a dependent. You can be dependent on it for filling the gaps in. The words you say online, the things you do online. And it can be anything from joining... Um, some sort of group. Okay? That can be something. Pornography is another thing. It is no different than any other medication. It's much more sinister in the end, except you have the very same human reaction to Rocky Mountain Raspberry. I go home and I eat a half a gallon of it because I'm sad. Okay, right? I'm sad, so I eat, and I eat, and I eat. Or I'm sad, so I go do something. All right, be careful, and this is the subtlety, be careful that your dependence, what what you're depending on. Okay, you can wake up someday, 20 years down the road, and having never realized you built that dependence on something. It isn't, doesn't have to be one of the things I named. It could be anything in your life. People are go from relationship to relationship to, to relationship because it makes them feel better. They gotta have this. They gotta have a boyfriend. They gotta have this. They gotta have a gotta get married. Okay, and they are intense about it. And there's nothing else they can think about except that. Be aware of that. Second thing is timing. I told you lots of things in this life. Rocky Mountain Raspberry, again. Not bad. Something good. If I want to eat it today for breakfast, that might be okay. And if I want to eat it again at 9 o'clock in the morning, and I want to eat it again at noon, and I want to eat it again for a snack in the afternoon, and for dinner at night, and I want to eat it for a snack before I go to bed. Maybe that's even fine one day. Maybe you had a Rocky Mountain Festival. 
okay? But when you begin to just want it all the time, there's, there's a limitation that God puts on blessings oftentimes. Okay, there's a point of diminishing return that it's like, well, I can have this much of it, but if I had it every single day, six times a day, I'd probably get tired of it after a while. Or, if I want it now, and I don't care what it costs me, and I don't care what it costs anybody else, I'm going to do whatever I need to because I want it now, there may be a timing issue. Now, there's not a lot of ice cream timing issues. Ice cream's good any time of the day. But, there are timing issues with other things in this life, okay? Sometimes God says, you wait for that. This is what I want you to do. I want you to wait. Even if the Bible doesn't specifically say that's wrong, if you have a relationship with God, God will sometimes say, no, right now. Okay? No is an answer to prayer. Another one is slow, so go slow. Another one is grow. In other words, you need to change before you can get it. And another answer is go. Those are the answers that God gives back to us in our prayers. If we say, God, I really want this now. Sometimes he might just say, no. And other times he might say, wait. You have to wait for the time to be right. Other times... You're not ready for this. You don't know what you need to know before you get there. And other times, yeah, go ahead. Have it now. Timing is right. Okay? So, let's look a little bit at temptation. We've seen what it is. We've looked at it. We've looked at some examples of people. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. If somebody wants to read that verse for me, that would be great. What is it? 1 Corinthians 10.13. I can. Do you want me to? I'd love you to. Okay. There hath no temptation take you, but such as, it co- such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that. You, you are able, but will... With the temptation, also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Okay? So, two things God promises about temptation. Temptation will come in your life. And he gives you two things. What's he giving you? What's he saying he's going to do in here? Okay, that's the last one. He provides a, an escape, it says, a way out. Okay, provides an escape. But careful with that. It says escape. It is, there's a little phrase after that that says what? So that you can bear it. That doesn't mean... Every time you see anything, he's going to let you write out before you ever get tempted. He's going to say, 
you're going to get in this situation and I'm going to give you enough to let you out but I'm not going to just take away all temptation from you. I'm not going to not allow, I'm not going to just wipe it all away and wipe the path clear. I'm going to allow you to be able to go through it. Now, the Bible is very specific. It says God does not tempt anyone. He's not bringing temptation. He's not trying to make you fall. We talked about Satan has got that army, and we got our own selfish human condition that where we struggle. That's where temptation makes us fall. Okay, From those two sources, internal and external, but God will allow you to walk through it, but he's carefully allowing you to walk through it. I want my children to understand that our wood stove is hot in the basement when they're very young. It doesn't mean that I, I got to rip out the wood stove because that's our source of heat, okay? So... And it doesn't mean that I can never allow my children to go in the basement. But what I want them to do is to understand that's hot. And you will burn yourself if you touch it. And I can tell them and I can talk to them. And sometimes they listen. When they're young, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. When they're old, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they think they know better. The reality is, regardless, that that stove is hot. There's fire in there. Fire is hot. And you touch it, although it looks like it, just like it does when it's cold. You touch it because I tell you it's hot right now because I know there's a fire in there. If they touch it, they will get burned. But I guarantee, and I've had our kids get burned a couple of times couple of them got a little bit or forgot about it, okay, and reached out and touched something, okay, because they thought they wanted to help me or something, okay, but they never touched it again. Now, they didn't get burned from head to toe or anything like that. They got a little red skin, but they remembered it, and so they've learned a lesson in which they can pass on to someone else. Okay. Temptation still sits there to reach out and touch it. I guess you'd be kind of dumb if you were 30 and you reached out and touched it because you said, oh, ooh, that's not right. <laughs> you, you hope that there's a level of maturity that you learn over time. Okay, But God doesn't take everything away. He just gives you a way of escaping. Don't touch it. Okay, Don't touch it. I have personally... Had I know this was God when I was at the moment and crux of doing something wrong, at the moment of making a decision, doing something I shouldn't do, and about ready to go in, I've had a weird phone call. Or somebody walk in at that moment 
and God has given me a way of escape. Sometimes temptation feels so hot and intense at that moment that your brain has convinced itself there's no other way out. I have to do this. It's the only way I'm going to be satisfied. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to think. And God sometimes comes in and says, Hey! And you're like, huh, what happened? Why? That was weird. I never get a phone call at this point. Or something happened. And God's saying, You have a way to step out of this right now. Now that's not always worked with me. Sometimes I am determined to do wrong. And I go back and do it. And other times, it is just that enough moment of decision and clarity to get out and say, wow, what am I doing? This is really dumb. Every time I do this, I regret it later. Every time I say this, I regret it. Every time something like this happens and I'm faced with a situation... And I'm tempted to do wrong. When I do it, I go back hanging my head every night, wishing I didn't do it. And yet the temptation oftentimes is as keen and as strong, sometimes more strong, when it comes to you at that moment. Understand when it's the timing issue of you gotta have it now, you gotta do it now, you gotta go, 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 do it now. It's the best time to do it right now. Most of the time, that is not God talking to you saying, do it now. Many times, God says, you can wait. Now, there are some times where God wants you to act. And sometimes that's in a moment of fear where he wants you to do it now. He wants you to overcome that fear, okay? So, I'm not saying God never says, do it now. God has timing like that. But if it's satisfy yourself now, satisfy yourself now, satisfy that urge, itch the scratch, do it now, that is oftentimes the moment of temptation where you feel the intensity. And in your mind, there's a little battle going on. Somebody's going to win. Okay? The angry wolf or the, or the nice wolf. One of them's going to win. Just whichever one you allow. You keep feeding the one that you're going to allow. Okay? So, that's one thing. He makes a way out. And then the second thing in that verse was... Did you guys get it yet? Give you all kinds of time. God is faithful. God is faithful what? Who will... He won't put you in over your head. He's not going to drown you and allow you to drown in it. I'm also not going to take my child up to the wood stove and push him against it when it's burning. First of all, that's mean and nasty and terrible. And second of all, I don't want them to get hurt. I also know they have a limitation. When, when Josiah is two, his limitation of understanding and ability to do that is less. When he's five... He knows exactly what I'm telling him to do and understands what I'm telling him. And now he's making a decision to say, I'm going to do it anyways, even though Dad told me not to. Okay? When they do that, now, at that moment, if I think he's going to get in over his head, I'm going to take him out. I'm going to stop him physically. I'm not going to let him get buried. You know, we took him to the ocean... And 
our rules were how deep they could walk in the ocean without a parent right there. Now, the ocean was freezing cold anyways in the northwest, okay? It's, it's the water's 45 degrees in the northwest, okay? But either way, they were only allowed to walk so far below their knees, okay? And why is that? Because I know there's something out there. There is an undertow that can pull adults right off their feet and suck them right back in. If you get in that right spot where you don't have control anymore, there's a danger. And so you're not allowed there. You're not getting in over your head. No way, no how. Well, but I need to. No, you can't. Because you have no idea the power of that ocean. You'll be gone and I can't stop you. Okay? So there are limitations that God says, I won't let you get in over your head. All right. So what's interesting, Jesus one night is in the garden before the night before he dies. He takes his disciples into the inner garden to pray. He takes his most three trusted disciples into the innermost and walks a few steps away from them. Before he says that, he gives them specific instructions. Pray, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. He comes back, they're asleep. Right? Oh, good job, guys. Right? I wouldn't do any better. I'd probably have been asleep before this. Okay? I probably wouldn't even been in the center core with him. All right? So, he does it again. He does it a third time. Each time, watch that you don't fall into temptation. At that moment... It was the moment to be awake for them. It was the moment to be vigilant for them. And there they were, oh, so tired. I can't just, my words are slurring, and you know, I'm out. And he comes and wakes them up again. They have no idea what's going on around them. And that's oftentimes the way we are in our lives. We don't know the depth of the battle that's going on around us the spiritual battles. We don't understand it. We are pretty new at this whole thing and pretty infantile in our understanding of it, of what really is going on. But it is his instruction to watch and pray. So prayer is one of those things we can do constantly. Pray that we don't fall into temptation, right? That's what the Lord's Prayer says, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's that verse saying, don't let us get in over our head. Give us a way of escape. Okay? I got to know and be aware that every day is a possibility of temptation. That's one thing I don't like about this life. Because I hate having to always be on guard. Sometimes not my favorite thing to do. And I think that's probably because I've fallen... More times than I can count. Done the wrong thing more times than I can count. And I don't want to be there again. And I don't want to disappoint myself again. And I don't want to disappoint God again. And I don't want to disappoint my family again. I don't want to disappoint the people around me again. Because it always just goes back to my selfish choice at the moment. That for some reason was so intense I had to do it. Alright? 
Now, when you see somebody, Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1, when you see somebody that's struggling, Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1, what do you do? This is the answer. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Yep. Somebody can read it. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a, a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of weakness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Okay. Somebody's fallen. Somebody you see somebody, because it's much easier to see their fault than it is to see my own, right? I can go and see, hey, that guy, he's really struggled with that. And it says, go restore him, those who are spiritual. Now, it doesn't mean, hey, look at me, I'm spiritual, I'll help people. No, it's those who know God. How does God react? God reacts in love. God reacts in kindness. God reacts in righteousness. And so, go and restore them. Don't just say, what a jerk you are for doing that. Everybody hates your guts. Why can't you pick yourself up and go do it? That's usually not too helpful. Okay, you're not going to get good response out of that. But if you come to a person and say, you know what? I've struggled the same way. Or, this is what I struggle with. Oftentimes you open that person right up to say they're looking for somebody. Now, that moment might not be the moment you go that they're ready to talk, okay? But they might just listen. And and Paul there says restore them. But be aware when you're around that person or in a situation that you don't fall in. First of all, thinking you've got it all together and that guy, that poor sap's the one I'm going to help. Be careful, because we all have our own weaknesses. So go in love and kindness, sometimes in firmness, because sometimes that sin is not going to come out without a strong, strong, kind hand in someone's life. Firmness, sometimes, because people are stubborn. Our wills are stubborn. Firmness is sometimes the best thing. Okay? Now, understand this, too. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4. Just a few more pages back after the... Tease, all the books with the T's. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. If you'd read that next, please. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all things tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 
Here's what this verse says, okay? Our infirmities means our weaknesses, our sicknesses, the things. God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come to this earth to walk in your shoes. He was tempted, it says, in all points. Everything that humans fall by, He was tempted. Okay? He was tempted to do those things, to lose dependence on God, to have things out of time, and things like that, other temptations. He was tempted to do that. And he cares about us. He understands. He empathizes. Sympathy and empathy are two different things, right? You guys know what the difference is? You can have sympathy for someone... You send them a sympathy card. What's a sympathy card? Yeah, sorry. Usually a sympathy card means somebody died in your family. You send them a sympathy card. Okay? Empathy means I'm living through it too. There's a special connection when somebody empathizes with you versus just having sympathy on you. I feel sorry for you. Okay? That's not what God said. God could say, I feel sorry for you, you little scummy humans, right? <laughs> because you guys really have messed this up. But that's not what he said. He says, I'm coming down to live and walk and feel what it's like to be tempted and have weakness as a physical human because I want to know what it's like so I can help you more. That's he empathizes with us. And that's what that verse says high priest that is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. Okay, other translations say he empathizes with us. He feels the pain, the loneliness, the things that we have felt. I think Jesus may have had one of the loneliest lives. And I don't mean he wasn't surrounded by people. But if there was anybody who was misunderstood in this life, Jesus was one. Right? Even his friends, the night that he said, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation, what did they do? When they all, when they came, and the final thing came where Jesus got bound and let himself be bound and arrested, they all ran away. They all were scared. They all abandoned him. In his greatest moment of need as a human, they ran away. He knows what it feels like. And he had he had no way out but death. And there was no kindness shown to him at all. God knows what it feels like. He knows. And so we see this, this temptation, and we we have let it mature, and we look at it, and you say. Well, oftentimes we get the habit, the temptation, temptation that becomes a habit. There's another word for that we use all the time. If there's a person who has a habit of giving into drugs, what do they do? What are they? They're an addict. So there is something we call an addiction. 
addiction. Now, so very cleverly, as C.S. Lewis often is, he wrote a book called The Silver Chair. We've done it in this class in times past. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. Okay. There was a young man named Prince Rillian, and Prince Rillian lost his mother. She was taken and or killed, and he doesn't know what happened to her. And so he goes out on this quest. He's lonely, he's sad, he's had this tough thing that happened to him. He goes out on this quest and, and leaves and goes to try to find what happened, at least a, a story of what happened. And he runs across the green witch, essentially, is what she is. Okay, But she is a beautiful woman. He has an encounter with this witch, who's just a beautiful woman in the woods. And he goes back to his life. And he's so intrigued by this, he goes back to see the witch again. And of course she, another time, meets him, just for a moment, just to give mystery, just to give a little bit of desire, build a little desire, and she's gone again. And eventually, she has him coming to meet her, with barely a word ever said. On a regular basis. He comes and he meets her. And he meets her. And eventually, he is taken by her willingly. He walks right down with her to go see her kingdom. Her kingdom happens to be in an underground labyrinth maze. And he becomes her prince in the kingdom. He lives in that kingdom. And he starts to know and see all the things that this green witch does. He loves this witch. He respects this witch. He does everything for this witch. But once a day, she has told him that he has fits of rage. And the only way to deal with this fits of rage for his own good are to put him in this silver chair. She binds him in the silver chair. And whether she's there or gone, he has his fits of rage until he calms down and comes back to himself. She comes back in and releases him for the rest of the day. Each day he is bound back in this chair. So the story goes where a couple of kids set by the lion Aslan, okay, take a journey and go and find him and finally get down there, but they are not convinced about this witch. The longer they're in her realm, the more they see, like, well, maybe she is good. But then they kind of go, "Ah, no, no, she's not. And he is free. And he talks to them. 
and he tells them about the things. And then finally they stay long enough where he says, well, I'm going to go and they're going to put me in this chair and I must not be let out because whatever I will do in those fits of rage is going to be destructive. And so they find their way into this chamber where he's locked in the chair. And what they find is that he comes into his right mind when he's locked in that chair. And he says, let me out. I'm in my right mind. I'm Prince Rillian. Now he's forgotten who he was. He doesn't even remember this Prince Rillian when he's out of the chair. But when he sits in that chair for that short time every day, he remembers who he is. And he begs and pleads, let me out of this chair. I'm enchanted by this witch. On and on he goes. And they look at each other and say, should we? What if he's lying? He told us not to. He stood there next to us, calm and in his right mind, and told us, do not let me out of this chair, whatever I tell you. Well, because Aslan gave them the signs that they had to follow, they end up freeing him from that chair. He gets up and with one swipe, destroys the chair and it's gone. Takes a sword, which is meant to be, okay, swipes it and destroys the chair and a flash of lightning sort of, it's gone. What was the chair? What was right and what was wrong? See, this is where it's very clever because this is what happens in addiction. Like when he's meeting the witch at first, there's an allurement, there's seems pretty good, and then I gotta go see her, I gotta get back, I gotta go take I gotta be with her, and then eventually he willingly walks down into his kingdom, into her kingdom, and gives up his identity on his own. She doesn't bind him. She just brings him through temptation getting him there. And then she has twisted his world up so much that the only time he's in his right mind is when he's locked up in his chair and he can't get free of this thing. And then he takes another hit of the temptation and says, oh, well, I'm free now. And he gets back into the mindset where she is right and I am in the place I should be. That's the way temptation is. It turns, addiction turns your right into wrong and your wrong into right. It flips things upside down. It is so subtle. You give away your identity, who you really are, just to fulfill yourself by whatever that is. Whether that is drugs or whether that is uh, pornography or whether that is... Um, Alcohol, or whether that is whatever that is, whatever it is that has you caught up, be aware it twists everything around. And the only way to be free of it, right, is with the sword. And what's the sword? I said we'd come back to that. It's for the sword of the Lord, right? That's what 
Lewis is writing about. There's one way to be free of those things, and it's not without great struggle, and there's great confusion in the whole thing, and there's loss of who I am and what I should be. Am I a child of God? If I'm a child of God, why am I doing this? But those questions go away, and it starts to be like, no, this is the right thing to do. People that are addicted to something get into the point where it's the only thing they can see in front of them. They live in a twisted world, an upside-down world where their thought processes, they look normal, but their thought process is upside-down. Okay? It's a very subtle and clever thing. And the only way to do it is get them to the place where they understand who they are and free them through God's word. And it's not just going to be one verse thrown at them and they're all done. Okay, It is a process of untwisting. A process of setting right in which God has to do the work, but the person has to be willing. Okay, Rillian had to be willing to be freed from that and have some friends that help them. Because oftentimes it takes some friends to get you set right. He's strapped in that chair. Why is he strapped in the chair? Because he's addicted. He goes right back to it. Okay, that's what it, the, the bindings show you is that you cannot just get out on your own. It takes other things on the outside to work through that. So you look at these things and you see, well, God, God can do it. God gives you a way of escape. But when we get to a point, if we get to a point where we allow something in our life that grows very subtly to the point of addiction, be aware... Or if you know somebody like this, be aware that it takes a process to straighten things out. All right, And not only does that person have to be willing, oftentimes they're very willing. But the struggle is so great. And oftentimes it all started with some weakness. Something they were self-medicating with, whether they were lonely or whatever it was. And it allowed to build this in and to the point where they got bound up in it and they couldn't free themselves. Okay? Great struggle. It's a serious thing. It's a thing that God can help in. Okay? And you start with prayer in these things to help a friend. But be aware. Like it says, help a friend. But be aware. What you're thinking of and the things that trip you up as well. So... Temptation is subtle. It is important to know about because it's around us every day. Be aware of the things that are around us. Thank you very much. Have a good day. You're dismissed.